Hey everyone, welcome to episode 92 of the Chirps Podcast, which is brought to you by Birds on the Black. I am Alex Chrisafoli, doing the intro because Tara Wellman uh, is working tonight. And, uh, and she also got engaged. Uh, yeah. So congratu- yeah, congratulations to Tara. That's uh, great for her. Uh, very exciting news. Uh, but because of all that, I am joined by Daniel Shaftal, who most of you know. I think he gets a shout out almost on every episode of Chirps, if not, if not everyone, close to everyone. Uh, C70 at the bat, he does a lot of podcasts, uh, you name it, he does it. Daniel, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Um, as far as I know, I want to uh, extend my congratulations as well to Tara. That's great news. Um, and I am very happy that the Cardinals are, are winning a ball game. So yes, at the yeah, me too. They are for those of you listening that they are currently up three nothing in the bottom of the fourth. They just had a run taken off the board because Tommy Edmond uh, ground into a double play and it, they ended up stranding Dylan, Dylan Carlson at third uh, after he tripled with no out. So that was a bummer, but hopefully they can hang on. I also should note that uh, Tara apparently got engaged to a Cubs fan. Did you know this, Daniel? I did. This was a very yeah. disappointing, but yeah. Well, I'm married to a Cubs fan, so I, I was a. I was trying to assure her it was it would all be fine. <laughs> it's it's good that it's good to know that you know such disparate points of view can can come together and and get along. It's it's a it's a great thing. It's something society needs more of. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of congratulating people, I want to congratulate you and Alan on a, on a new theme song for Meet Me Unusual. I, I was ready to build a time machine to go back and uh, stop Stan Musial from ever uh, buying a harmonica. Um, <laughs> <laughs> as as, I, I think I remember. You, I'm sure you've seen this interview before, but either one of his friends or family members said he could really only play like two songs on mm-hmm. the harmonica. And one of them was take me out to the ball game, obviously. So he played it all the time. It sounded like, uh, and I, I think I made a joke to you that, uh, I felt like you could hear the crowds groan getting louder and louder <laughs> with, uh, each episode you guys did. Yeah. Well, I mean, but that was, I think that recording was done. I assume it was done at one of the hall of fame inductions. Um, yeah. you know, cause I think you're right. I think he, he could play that and happy birthday. Maybe was the other <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah. I think um, but you know, it's Stan and you know, people, people like Stan enough to, to put up with it. Um, that and the dollar, the dollar ring, a uh, dollar bill ring thing is really cool. I think that, that Stan always liked to make rings for women and at a dollar bill. So, Oh, um, that's right. Yeah. You know. I didn't know what you were talking about there at first. Yeah. No, I I, I'm certainly not, certainly not hating on it. You can't. Oh no, of course not. You, you can't hate on Sam usual. So. Not at all. But, but yeah, yes, the, we, the theme song is good. It sounds well, very quite yeah. professional. Yeah. I was impressed. We, we got a, a, like I say, a local guy here in town that, uh, you know, has been doing music. That's, that's his, that's his job. He does music. And we, we, uh, got with him and he, the thing is he didn't know much about baseball. So it was like, okay, dude, you know, made a few changes here and there, but, uh, it turned out real well. Nice. Uh, before we get started talking about the Cardinals real quick, I, I tweeted something earlier and I'm only bringing it up cause you liked it, which means you saw it. Mm. Does it surprise you that the Phillies have not finished above 500 since 2011? A little bit. A little I mean, obviously, bit. they had that stretch from 13 to, I guess, 2016, where they were just terrible. Right. So, uh, certainly those years, that's not a surprise. But it, it felt like that was enough in the rear view. They've been very close. They've had, obviously, a lot of talent the last couple of years. And then when, I think, yeah, when Trueblood 
tweeted that out, I started thinking about it. I was like, I still don't think they have finished above 500 since the Cardinals basically uh, murdered their franchise uh, at game five uh, back in 2011. And yeah, that is the case. They've had a couple of 81 and 81 finishes uh, in 80 and 82, but have not been able to get 82 wins since that, I mean, just outright dominant team in 2011. Oh, yeah. I mean, but the the, the Phillies are always going to be that team that reminds me because that stretch of backing up to 2000, you know, they won the World Series, then they lost the World Series, then they lost mm-hmm. the Championship Series, then they lost the NLDS, then they were out of the playoffs and a terrible team. And just, a, just that stair step into, well, what had then turned into mediocrity or, or worse. But yeah, I would have thought somewhere along the way they would have, you know, again, we knew they didn't win a division or anything, but a 84 or 85 win team would have popped around there. So that, that was surprising. Yeah, I, I was surprised. And I would put that, I would put that 2011 Phillies team right up there with the 2004 Cardinals, the 2016 Cubs, you know, some of these Dodgers teams we've seen recently. I, I want to say they won, what, like 102, 103 games, but they were dominant. That pitching staff was mm-hmm. uh, just <laughs> horrifying. I, I, you know, obviously uh, Roy Holiday, which I, I thought when he was at his best, he scared me more than say a pitcher like Clayton Kershaw. Oh, yeah. uh, I mean, Cliff Lee uh, Os- was Oswald on that Oswald team. Oswald was on uh, that team. Yeah, yeah. and uh, was that Hamels was the other one, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because there were four, the four real four true type aces yeah. on that Oswald, team. I guess Oswald, not Oswald. It's Oswald. Yeah. What am I talking about, right? Oswald? Oswald. He'll always Oswald. be the guy who uh, who shut down old Bush Stadium, so yeah. I'm still... And so I, that gives me a right to mispronounce his name. Exactly. And I think it was... I don't remember. One of the things he won for, like, maybe when he won a World, a world Series or... In the playoffs or something, I remember he wanted a, a a bulldozer, and the team bought him a bulldozer as like this gift, um, because he was doing la- yard work and land work in his place in Mississippi. I don't remember no. exactly, but anyway, I just you, you, the weird things possible? you pick up. So what? So like he was team? Was he like the MVP instead of like getting the customary Corvette? They he got a uh, bulldozer or it, something like that. It was or or maybe it was like. He, instead of a of a bonus or instead of his world series share or something he got a he, they, they bought him a, a bulldozer so okay you know it's weird it's it's not the it's not the now holiday and carpenter on the amazon river story no, but it, it did no. get, make its rounds a little bit so yeah that story i i guess was that told at holiday's kind of memorial I mean, that's when I first heard it. Maybe he, maybe Carpenter had told that story before, but oh, I don't think yeah. I'd heard that story until until the memorial. And I just remember thinking that sounds frightening. Oh, I, I don't know about in detail, but they did talk about that trip because he went on it. Uh, right, they went on it right after the 2011 World Series, which of course had that uh, that matchup between the two, and, and they studiously did not talk about. <laughs> Yeah, okay. yeah, but uh, yeah, that was uh, had, uh, an interesting, an interesting career and an interesting life uh, for for Ray Holiday. Absolutely. Uh, well, we should probably talk about the Cardinals. This is supposed to be a Cardinals podcast. Like I said, they're up three nothing right now. Uh, Goldschmidt just doubled. Hopefully, they can maybe squeeze out another insurance run here or something. 
we are basically in the last week of the season. The Cardinals are in a decent spot to make the playoffs, but not not where we thought perhaps they would be, I guess, two, three weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Three weeks ago, you know, it looked like they'd be more of a lock by this point because I don't remember where Cincinnati and Milwaukee were at that point, but I don't remember being all that impressed, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but obviously the Cardinals have not been all that impressive. They haven't been able to get... Uh, more than two games above 500 all season, uh, which if they're win tonight, that, that'll be right back where they are heading into this last week. The offense has been the talk. Um, it just hasn't been there. Uh, you know, after they took four or five from the Pirates, I tweeted something basically to the effect that, look, they did what they had to do against the Pirates, but, you know, and I'll absolutely take it, but they really didn't look that impressive doing it. And, you know, one guy on Twitter kind of got mad at me about that, saying I was <laughs> I was like ripping the team, and I'm like, no, I'm not. It's just it's a fact. I mean, I mean, they did not look like a, anything more than a mediocre team in that series, a series that they certainly don't take four or five if they're not playing, if they're not the worst team in baseball. I mean, one of the worst for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, I tweeted out at some point in time in the weekend that if the Cardinals did make the playoffs, that we could not um, forget the contributions that the Pittsburgh Pirates made to that cause because, you know, what the the one game the Cardinals came from behind because the they made three errors in one inning and walking batters and you know because I mean the starting pitching for the the Pirates in that series was incredible whether you it's the pitchers or the hitters which I think we can understand probably what it was given what those pitchers had done before they faced the Cardinals, but, you know, getting no hit through, uh, you know, having a complete game shutout thrown at you um, to, to come out of that with four out of five um, and, and really having to do so in the latter innings against the bullpen just about every time was pretty remarkable. Um, and what they had to do, um, and you got to give them credit for that much, but it did not inspire you with confidence that they could go out and then even do well against um you know, even Milwaukee coming up, uh, that's a step up from the Pirates, obviously, and, and you get a little concerned. Absolutely. So I, 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 I do not like the Milwaukee matchup. I, we all know that baseball, if you get to the playoffs and anything can happen, mm-hmm. of course. That said, I, I don't like this team in, in even a three-game series against uh, you know some of the stronger clubs we've seen. Luckily, there aren't that many strong clubs. Uh, I think we've talked before that the Cubs are – going to probably win this division going away, but they don't scare me that much. Uh, and, and since they're 13 and three star, they're basically, they've basically been a 500 team. And mm-hmm. I think the most important thing to remember is that when it's all said and done, we really will have only, we have, we've only played 60 games. So we really don't know a lot about these teams. It, it really surprised me. I guess I wasn't paying close enough attention to the calendar or what, but when I, <laughs> when it dawned on me that this was like the last week of the season, yeah. I was like, Oh my gosh, like, you know, what happened? You know, where did it all go? And then, uh, and, and so it, it didn't really hit me how quick 60 games would go until we got to this point. Yeah. Cause it, it still feels like the, the COVID shutdown is fairly, um, fresh like the cardinals just now got back from that 17 days off and oh wow here we are at the end of the end of the year um the only good thing about the cardinals uh, and is the fact that their pitching is good enough to make other teams 
look like the Cardinals hitting, um, which is why I mean, they played so many close games. I mean, and that's yeah, why they were able to make other teams work for it. Exactly. Absolutely. I mean, that's why we've, you know, the Cardinals have the, well, I think they have the season edge on the Cubs who you're right, have been a more of a 500 team, but still much better team than the Pittsburgh. They do tend to play at the level of their opponents. It feels like um, they won two out of three against the White Sox coming out of, of that layoff where I don't know that they could do that now, but maybe they could, because if you get a good game out of Jack Flaherty and you get a good game out of Adam Wainwright and all of a sudden you turn it over to the bullpens, even if you have a one run lead, I think we feel pretty good about this team if they can get a lead to the late innings. Um, but it's getting that lead. It's questionable. Yeah. And th- this is certainly not making any excuses for the team. Uh, whether that be the front office or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I do think we need to remember how ridiculous of a schedule they've had to play after mm-hmm. having a 17-day break. I mean, it's unprecedented. Yeah. To my knowledge, nothing like this has ever happened to um, a singular baseball team uh, in the middle of a, a season. Um, and, and, then, and granted, seven-inning seven doubleheaders, but still. To, to have, have to play to all these games in the number of days, you're going to have fatigue. And I assume, and I think Mosaic said this earlier today, he kind of assigned blame to that, to the fatigue factor in, in terms of like why we're seeing these offensive woes. And, and I, I think there's merit to that. I, I don't think that's the whole story. <laughs> I, I think it's just not the most scary offense. We're, ooh, there we go. Um, we will ever see. Uh, you're ahead of me so uh, okay. just like just like you are with Tara that's yeah, fine okay tell me tell me when uh yeah tell me Miller's when had a one two count so okay well you're about to okay anyway keep going <laughs> you know you know what I'm saying though right I mean oh yeah it's uh it, it can be both things it can be uh the schedule uh has just been tough and you know we are in crazy times and they've had to just make do with what they can but if all things were equal, I don't think this is an offense that would be, you know, lighting up the league. Um, no, there's the double. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think so. Cause I can understand the fatigue argument for, for this last weekend in Pittsburgh or, or something like that. Cause I have struggled, but I mean, they were struggling. Well, they were struggling even before the COVID went down. Right. I mean, they played three games against the Pirates, and then they went against the Twins and, and kind of got shut down by Homer Bailey, and I forgot the other guy. But anyway, somebody that shouldn't have been shutting them down. Um, in trying to figure out who, what, what this, you know, how much blame do you assign to a crazy schedule and, and layoffs and uh, everything else and versus the fact that, you know, pretty much the starting lineup was unaffected by the COVID. I mean, they had the layoff, but nobody had the, was contracted it that much, or at least not except for maybe Austin Dean. Um, you didn't lose a Goldschmidt. You didn't lose a Brad Miller, um, anything from that lineup. So how much do you, I don't know. I mean, this is, is a very, very difficult off season for John Mose Lock and company trying to figure out, how 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 much is this is true? Yeah, and I, I don't know if you subscribe to Sheen, Sheenan's newsletter, but mm-hmm. Joe Sheenan, I mean, he made an interesting point today, where he is this today or yesterday. He basically said, and, and I've I've made this point to Tara before that 
you know, this looks a lot like the team from last year. Mm-hmm. He basically said this is the Cardinals from last year all over again. They play, they play pretty good defense. They have good enough pitching, and that's kind of it. Um, but as he said, in baseball, that can be enough and should certainly be enough when you have 16 teams <laughs> um, um, making the playoffs. Uh, now, whether it will be enough uh, remains to be seen in this last week. But I, I think it is because of that sort of ingredients that's keeping the Cardinals competitive and keeping them in this thing. Uh, that can be an exciting brand of baseball, but typically, you know, if you're not if you're not a a good offensive team, that's going to lead to people like Tara and I last week talking about why is this team so boring. <laughs> and I don't know. No, I think you're right. I think there's a difference between. A, a strong pitching staff with just enough offense, uh, enough that you get, um, you know, at least some hope and, and, you know, that they come through enough times that when they don't, it's, it's disappointing, but it's not necessarily expected. There was a game this weekend. Um, I think it was the game against Pittsburgh and they took a, a five, four lead, but they had the bases loaded and nobody out. And I sent a message to Allen and I said, they're going to strike out, and then they're going to hit a double play. No, it was, try, it was one out, so they're strike out and fly out. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what they did. I mean, they're predictable. I mean, like tonight, when you saw Tommy Edmund come up and you think, well, normally they'd hit into a double play here, but Edmund's fast enough, maybe not. And still, he hits into a double play. It's that's That kind of stuff piles up and it, and it brings out that, that negative cynicism that we have about this team, which does make it boring, where if they would come through even – 10% more often than they do, we might give them a little bit more slack. Yeah. Oh, nice play. Oh, shoot. Bill's um, you'll see. <laughs> Sorry, I'll stop saying things since you're, no, you're fine me. because uh, it's behind and, me. So I have to turn around anyway. So I think it is worth noting also that a lot of fans probably feel this way about their team just by the very nature of the way baseball is played in 2020. Mm-hmm and 2019, 2018, which is not as many balls in play. And so that can feel like, like I don't have the stats in front of me, but there's no way the success rate with like, say bases loaded, one out, bases loaded, no outs or whatever the situation, there's no way the success rate is as high as it was even five, 10 years ago. I I would love to see those numbers. Um, I I know there's always a table out there somewhere that kind of tells you, you know, run expectancy in these different situations. But I don't know if you're like this, but when I see, and it's not just the Cardinals either, it's baseball in general, but when I see a team have the bases loaded and no outs, it doesn't really mean what it used to mean. (laughs) You you know, it used to be like, if if you got out of that jam, that was a big deal. That was like, wow, you know, it was like a Houdini act. And now it's just like, oh yeah, you know, they got the strikeout. You know, they got, you know, and then they, you know, got a ground out and force at home or a fly out or another strikeout or whatever. It just seems as though it doesn't seem I'm almost positive. It has to be true that those aren't the same scoring opportunities they used to be, by the way, baseball, by the very nature that baseball is played. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Um, it's hard to know because we do, or at least I do, spend most of my time watching the Cardinals, who have this year especially seem to 
thrive in not getting runs in on a base loaded situation. So it could be skewing my thing, but I, I think you're right. I think, especially with the increase in strikeouts, you know, you are just a strikeout and a ground ball away from getting out of an inning. And I know pitching coaches have told pitchers that forever, but you know, back in the the eighties and, and things when people were putting the ball in play more, that ball had a lot better chance of getting through or, it feels like, as, as Jim Edmonds would say on from the broadcast, the easiest thing to do is to hit a fly ball to the outfield um, and get the run in. Um, there was a lot more of that, too. And now, you know, for whatever reason, and I'm not, I'm not saying necessarily that it's bad, but it does tend to lead to a lot more of these situations where you don't – it's a it's a boomer bust type of thing. L- let me say something really quick about Jim Edmonds since you brought him up. I, <laughs> I like Jim Edmonds um, – Certainly as a player, I think he's a pretty good broadcaster too. Um, mm-hmm. Personally, I don't know if he would be a friend of mine. <laughs> <laughs> True. Uh, um, but that, that's neither here nor there. Uh, that said, uh, and, and granted, you know, the job as a broadcaster is – he's wearing a different hat than when he was a player. But let's mm-hmm. not act like he didn't strike out in situations uh, that we just described. Because he struck that's out true. all the time. Sure. That doesn't mean he wasn't an awesome player because he absolutely was, but he struck out all the time. Uh, in, in fact, it's uh, it, I'm kind of uh, foreshadowing something I'm going to talk about later in the chirp of the week. But yeah, he he, he struck out a lot. So um, I, I didn't hear the comment you made. I, I've heard him make similar comments to that, but I, I would hope he's making it with like if he's saying that's the easiest thing to do in the world, then you know I, I can certainly point to plenty of times where it wasn't as easy yeah. for him as he's making it sound in the booth. Yeah. I'm sure there was a little bit of, of, but there is something to that. I mean, you know, if you're just trying to put contact and maybe fly out, I don't know. I couldn't do anything. So I, I'm really not the person to talk to, but, um, but it does feel like, you know, back, back in the eighties or nineties or whenever we were watching this, that it, if you, had that runner on third you felt like there was a sacrifice fly coming whereas today yeah it doesn't seem to be that way well when i was at viva alberto's i interviewed ozzy smith did i ever i interviewed ozzy smith on the phone i don't know if i ever told you that or if you ever <laughs> so I, I actually have also interviewed ozzy smith on the phone okay so. was it for the kingsford charcoal was it during no, that it was, okay. in, it was related to the the all-star game in 09 so it was a bank of america thing I think. okay very cool okay so when I talked to him, and this probably wasn't as big of a thing in 09, but this, this would have been, I guess, 2017 when the shift mm-hmm. was very much here and part of baseball discussion. And he was very frustrated by contemporary players not being able to just like beat the shift. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess like Matt Carpenter would be a prime example. Not that he singled out Mark, Matt Carpenter by name. Sure. He was just talking mm-hmm. about players in general. And, on the one hand, you're like, Ozzy, um, you know, come on. Like, it's just, you you should know more than anyone that's not that easy. And, you know, pitchers are throwing harder than ever before. But on the other hand, it, I thought it, if anyone had kind of like credibility to make that statement, I felt like it was Ozzy because he, you know, he was by no means a, a great hitter. Um, you know, his legacy is with his glove. But he was an amazing contact hitter. And he, he didn't strike out. Um, he was a... He was kind of a pest at the plate, in fact. Yeah. And I actually believed him that he he thought if he was playing today, he would be able to, and if they actually, they probably wouldn't shift against him for this very reason, but if they were to do that, 
he would be able to poke it, you know, over whether he's batting from the right side or left side to, to the other side. Um, and I, I guess Yadier Molina is kind of like that today. You know, Yadier's mm-hmm. very good at just kind of hanging around up there and, you know, sticking his bat out and found balls off as it's not a pitch he's like, although he has struck out twice tonight, which is pretty rare for Yachty. Uh, he doesn't, yeah. he doesn't strike out all that often. Um, it, I don't know it, what my point here is uh, other no, than, uh, yeah. I would other, say, I would say though, it would be interesting. One thing, and I was thinking this with Ozzy, but when you bring up Yachty, it fits as well is, and is probably he thinks that because he developed himself as a hitter. You know, he didn't come up and hit 300. He had to work his way that way. And so he had to learn how to hit, how to do this. And I think he would feel like if he was not getting hits, he would learn how to hit the other way or get out of the shift. And and Yachty's somewhat the same way um, because Yachty wasn't as much of a hitter as he's come up and he's kind of learned the tricks as, as he's gone. And he's, you know, kind of worked at the craft. And I'm not saying that, but I'm just thinking like a, a Tony Gwynn of that era, he could beat the shift with no problem because he just hit it everywhere. But mm-hmm. um, he might not have the same credibility as like an Aussie because he did have to work at that. That's a really good point. And like, and speaking of Tony Gwynn, I mean, I, I think Ozzy was basically right up there with Tony in terms of being tough to strike out. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe not quite as good at it as, as Gwynn, but, but pretty close. And Ozzy and Yachty are kind of interesting in that respect in terms of yeah what you said they both came up and they were i mean they were dreadful hitters um Mm -hmm. it didn't matter because they were so good at their position and it was important to to be good in in terms of defensively at their position um so no one really cared if your shortstop couldn't hit very well back then or no one's ever really cared if your catcher can't hit very well right but they both yeah they both developed and and turned themselves into pretty solid hitters i mean obviously Ozzy's best season at the plate was in 87. He never quite had a uh, 2012 or 2013 type season that, that Yachty has had um, where, you know, Yachty was a, not just like a good hitter, but he was, he was a very good hitter, if not close to a great hitter for, for two seasons, which Ozzy can never say, but it's their career trajectories at the plate are pretty similar. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess Ozzy at least has the benefit of coming in second in the MVP voting and he really should have won that uh, in 87. I yeah. mean, that's just, um, yeah. Um, 87 Dawson. is mm-hmm. the most wild year. Uh, yeah. So Andre Dawson, uh, as most of you probably know, won, won the MVP, which, uh, he was on a last place team with the Cubs, but he also hit 49 home runs and had like 137 RBIs. And those are stats that just, especially back then would just jump yeah. out and, yeah. uh, uh, even in a season like 87 when a bunch of players hit 40 home runs, it wouldn't surprise me if half the 40 home run seasons in the 80s were in 1987. <laughs> no, I'm being serious. I, no, I think I think, I think that might – because I know – because That was a juice ball to you, right? I mean, that's what they were talking I about. Believe that, I believe they think the ball was juice. I know – Ke- That was Kevin Mitchell and – Kevin Mitchell was 89, actually. That was 89. Okay. Yeah, he hit when he hit 47. Uh, but in 87 – Dawson hit 49, Dale Murphy hit, I want to say 44, and over in the American League, George Bell hit 40-something, Mark McGuire as a rookie hit 49, and there's one other 40 home run hitter I'm not thinking of, Uh, and a whole bunch of players, you know, hitting, I I think Tony Gwynn hit 24 home runs or something like that year, or 
uh, if that puts it in perspective. All right, that sounds crazy. Did, did he really? Let me look that up real quick. It's all of a sudden I'm saying that, and maybe I'm thinking of Wade Boggs because they always. Well, Gwyn like, had yeah, Gwyn had one year where he hit a ton. I'm just looking it up right now. Kind of like um, the Ichiro thing, where he just so he could show he could because there was uh, just. Oh, okay, was... it was definitely not that year. Yes, <laughs> I think I'm thinking of Wade Boggs. Um, okay. Let me look up Wade Boggs. I know everyone turns into a Cardinals podcast so they can hear me uh, sure. searching around on the internet to find out how, how many home runs Wade Boggs in '87. But damn it, I need to know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so in 1987, Wade Boggs hit 24 home runs. Okay. Uh, the rest of his career, he had never hit more than 11 in a season. Yeah. And the two seasons that bookended his '87 season. 1986 and 1988 he hit eight home runs and five home runs respectively so it was yeah everyone was having <laughs> outlier seasons yeah at uh, in terms of home runs except for ozzy smith who hit zero zero uh yeah which uh but had 75 be, rbi yeah 75 rbis and i, I want to say he had 100 runs or very close to it uh so yeah, he was very was very valuable guy on the offensive side of the play and I, I would love to know when the last time if ever anyone has finished in the top three MVP voting with zero home runs. Oh, that's man. not a, that's not a pitcher. Yeah, I can't. I, mean, I when can't. Would it I, in, I, in the modern, in the modern era. Yeah, but it's like you'd have to get back into the, did they, probably, did they even have MVP awards in the non-modern era? I don't think they did. Not that far back. No. I mean, if you're getting before Ruth and such, I mean, that may have had a player of the year type of thing, but yeah, but that's how far you'd have to go back, I would think. I I'm can't sure imagine. I've it. I'm sure I've actually done this before because uh, I know I've played around with Ozzy Smith's 87 season so much uh, on like the play index, but I don't know. That that would be a very good question. Yeah, because uh, I mean, I mean, people. I mean, nowadays, I mean, you fluke into one or two. I mean, even if you're yeah. not a home run hitter, you're going to have at least a few. All right, this is how we're going to do it, Shop So Next time, uh, maybe next trip of the week, next week. I think if I just do a search for seasons of players with zero home runs and then sort by wins above replacement, that'd be a good way to to, uh, look at MVP votes. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) (laughs) speaking of hitting and teams that aren't hitting, Dylan Carlson has not been exactly hitting much this season, but he is two for two tonight and he is a homer and single away from the cycle i think he's hit a double and a triple so that's kind of fun he's up right now i gotta say i'm not at all worried about dylan carlson if anything i've i've been encouraged by by him even though his slash line is awful he's he's striking out like 30 you know he's striking out probably a little too much he's not walking a lot um i feel like those skills will develop he's only 20, you know, he's, he's a super young guy. I'm, I feel fine with him. It's really hard to get too worked up about young guys that come up and, and struggle because they are alert. And then especially in a season like this, where, you know, Carlson, he was down at Springfield, but what were they doing then? I mean, how much could you really consider that, you know, being ready for the big leagues? And then he jumps up here and he's going to try to figure this all out. It really does feel like it's a, just an idea of, of learning how pitchers are going to pitch him and being able to hit stuff that's not fastballs and know that fastballs don't come in fastball counts up here like they do in the minor leagues. And um, But, yeah, it feels like it's the more he gets a chance to play and the more confidence he gets, 
the better he's going to be. And I think tonight's a good indication that he had the home home running in, in Pittsburgh. So he feels I have you know I'm sure over the last week he's looked looked pretty good. Um, he stole a home run or a double, I guess, last night. Um, so the defense is there too. He's thrown out runners. He's a he's a very interesting guy to watch. And and yeah, there's, if anybody's writing him off because he's struggled over you know, 30 games or whatever it may be, then that's, that's crazy talk. Go look up Mike Trout's first year. Right. No, that's, that's obviously uh, a good point. Uh, and I always forget that a lot of people think Trout's first year was 2012 when mm-hmm. he just came in and lit the league on fire, but not the case. He had a yeah. small cup of coffee. Do you see what, do you see what Carlson yeah. did? Yeah. It's Single a, there. So if he can just yeah. get that home run next time. <laughs> yeah. Dylan Carlson is now just a home run. Away from the cycle, so that's exciting. And it was a good at bat. I don't know if you were mm-hmm. watching it, but he, it was on like a uh, maybe fifth pitch of the at bat or fourth pitch of the at bat, and he he, he uh, maybe got the benefit of the uh, the first pitch of the the at bat. Probably was a strike, called a ball, and that certainly can change things. But no, he. I, I think my early returns on Dylan Carlson is that he looks comfortable at the plate. Uh, and that's might be a silly thing to say, especially from an untrained eye like mine. Um, and when he's putting up the numbers that he is so far, but yeah, I, I, I feel fine with him. Like I said, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually excited for him going forward, but I guess we'll see on that. Yeah. I think he'll be, I mean, obviously I've been, once uh, Kyle matched me with him a couple of years ago in Prospect Matchmaker, he's been one that I've, you know, had a special fondness for. But, uh, you know, glad to see this. And I'm glad, you know, I feel like, you know, that he's probably, surely he's done enough to earn himself a starting spot for 2021. Um, I don't know, again, what that outfield is going to look like, but it, I can't see them sending him down to Memphis because he's he's showing that he can handle the big leagues. He just needs a little bit more time in it. Yeah, and I, I, I'd i be very surprised if he's not the starting right, well, somewhere, somewhere in the mm-hmm. outfield uh, yeah. on opening day next year. But I, I guess we will see on that. Uh, another thing I want to know, Mike Matheny got thrown out of this game earlier. Did you see that? And did you also hear that it's his 50th birthday? I mean, people celebrate in different ways. Um, you just, you never know. I did see him get tossed out. I didn't see why. Um, and strikes, I I believe. I think uh, he he did not like what the home plate when he made a pitching change. He had a few words with the umpire and and got run. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I it Matheny in some regards looks like maybe he has changed a bit in Kansas City. In some regards, he hasn't. I mean, I was listening to the broadcast last night and they have, I think the Royals have two pitchers that are in the lead lead for most appearances and i'm like that sounds about right so um but i feel like kansas city is a good place for him and um you know obviously you know he just gets to go home a little early tonight and and, you know maybe unwind with his glass of milk and uh, his birthday cake the weird thing about Matheny, he obviously has something that i i i think we'll both agree that his time in St. Louis was frustrating um, <laughs> in spite of the fact that from a wins loss standpoint, it was very successful, but he, he seemed out of his league at times um, in over his head, whatever you want to say. 
But there seemed to be this narrative that he was just like this bumbling fool after a while, mm -hmm. uh, which had merit in that the way he would, you know, do the bullpen. Uh, I, I think it was a Grantland article that basically said, like, if he just had a random generator doing yeah. bullpen moves, it would be better than Matheny. So <laughs> there was a reason why this reputation was there. That said, you don't get two managerial jobs without having something in terms of now, whether this is something that's actually valuable when you're in the dugout, I don't know. But he can obviously walk into a room and convince people that this is our guy. This is an impressive person. Uh, and my sister-in-law actually saw him speak at something when he was still the Cardinals manager. It was some sort mm -hmm. of luncheon or I don't know. Um, and she said he was incredibly engaging, uh, an excellent speaker. The way she described him was not the Mike Matheny I was seeing in the dugout every night. So there's obviously something to him, uh, which I guess shouldn't surprise me. I mean, we saw him for so long as a player with the Cardinals uh, that it's not like he was some stranger and that we didn't know him at all. But, but yeah, there's obviously he brings, he's bringing something to the table, at least when it comes to an, whether it's an interview, if he's just really good at interviewing, I don't know. Well, I mean, what is your, what is your take on this guy? Well, um, I think that he probably, at least like you say, outside the dugout brings some gravitas, if you will. Um, a guy that people can respect. I mean, he's, he's a mild mannered guy. He's a, he's a guy that, for all intensive for everything we understand has integrity and you know and even as as i don't know i don't think the clubhouse ever really got toxic in st louis obviously had its its problems but there's still a lot of people in that clubhouse that could run through a wall for him so he obviously could connect with some players if not all players um it's that leadership thing and i think at st louis a lot of it it was they expected him to be able to lead and figure out the tactics later and the tactics just never quite got there. And once the talent started to be a little bit less, it didn't paper over the mistakes as much. So um, Kansas city is a good place for him to, you know, see if he can experiment and learn. And if he doesn't do well in Kansas city, I don't know. I don't, maybe San Francisco would give him a shot somewhere along the way, but um, for the most part, this, this may be all for Mike Matheny. But then again, I kind of thought, St. Louis was going to be all for Mike Matheny. So what do I know? I'm not sure if I thought it was going to be all for Mike Matheny. I certainly didn't envision him getting a job this quickly mm -hmm. after, after his tenure in St. Louis. But yeah, I, I, uh, I would say uh, good for him. Yeah. I hope yeah. it works out for him. Uh, and I don't know. I, I, I think I probably spent way too much time on this podcast talking about Mike Matheny. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's um, nothing else. Mike Matheny is always going to have that you know, lecture circuit uh, to fall back on. Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, th th he'll be a, a speaker for people uh, that's, that's in the band. Right. I will, I will say if maybe the biggest thing he did that was like, okay, it's time for you to go is when it seemed like he lost Yadier Molina and you just yeah. can't, you just can't lose Yadier Molina as a manager of mm -hmm. the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, if, if that's why when Tara and I were talking last week and there was confusion over what was going on on the field, this was the game where 
uh, Braun took that swing and hit Yachty's mm-hmm. glove, catcher's interference, and then there was kind of this idea that maybe Shill and Yachty were arguing on the field, uh, which I don't think was the is, Did it turn out that was not the case? I don't, I don't quite remember. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't think so. I think they were both arguing at, uh, at council or, okay, or yeah. whatever, but they weren't arguing with each other. So that was kind of concerning, but because we know you just can't you lose Yachty. You just, right. That's not going to bode well for you in uh, job at least, in your in, in your job security as Cardinals manager. At least not then. You do start to wonder. I mean, we don't know what Yachty's future holds, and it feels like Yachty's going to have oversized influence while he's in St. Louis, no doubt. But you know, it, there comes a point where that influence doesn't go as far as you think, and it may be that if. You know, even if Yachty comes back next year, you know, at some point in time, the, the organization might back Shilt over over Molina. That would be an interesting thing to see. Um, but I don't know. Um, maybe that's just a speculation. Yeah. Well, I guess we will see. Um, yeah. I just noticed we hit the 40-minute mark. We should probably go ahead and move on to the chirp of the week unless there's something else you want to discuss. No. I'm, I mean, we've got, we've got dueling chirps for the week, so yeah, we better get yeah. to it. So, as a lot of you know, uh, when I have guests on, I always, uh, I don't make them do the Chirp of the Week, but I highly encourage it. Uh, But this week is no different, but I also had one that I wanted to do because something happened this week. uh, And I'll go ahead and go first, if that's okay with you, Daniel. Um, So, uh, I I don't remember who noted it on Twitter, but this has been kind of... uh, uh, a baby of mine the last couple of years, which is that the Cardinals have not finished below the Pirates in the standings in the NL Central standings since 1999. Uh, and I apologize for not remembering uh, who it was on Twitter who who pointed out immediately when the Cardinals at least clinched um, a better record than the Pirates this season. Uh, <laughs> so making it 21 straight seasons ahead of the Pirates in the standings. Uh, it's one of my favorite things in baseball. If uh, it probably would not surprise you, know that is the longest such streak in in the majors. And I wrote into Effectively Wild last year to ask them, like the the Fangrass podcast with Ben Lindbergh, uh, Sam Miller, and Meg Rowley, basically to ask them, like, what is the all time record? Um, and if I recall, the Yankees finished ahead of the uh, Athletics mm-hmm. way back in like from like the thirties to the fifties for like, uh, I want to say something close to like 30 some odd years. Well, they kept so, taking their good players too. So that helped. Yeah. Yeah. So the Cardinals have some, I guess, ground to make up there, but it is, if it might be the second longest streak ever in baseball, I, I don't quite, I don't quite remember, but I got on uh, baseball references stat head. Cause I wanted to dig into this a little bit further. And I can tell you, since the Cardinals last finished um, below the Pirates, so we're going to start with 2000, when the streak began. The Cardinals, and this is going into the two tonight, the Cardinals have won 1,838 games, and they have lost 1,452. The Pirates have won 1,488 games, and they have lost 1,801. So... (laughs) If this was one long, continuous season, the Cardinals would be 349 and a half games up on the Pirates in the standings, um, which uh, 
comes out to pretty about, good about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I would certainly heading into the last week of the season, I think they'd be able to <laughs> hold them off. I don't know how many double headers each team has, but I feel, I feel good. Um, <laughs> um, and that comes out to an average of about 17 games a year since this, since that began. Mm-hmm. Um, their record against the Pirates during this stretch is 212, uh, 212 wins versus 138 losses for a 606 win percentage. Um, if curious, that would average out to, in a normal 162-game season, that would average out to about 98 wins a year. Yep. Now, I wanted to also look at players during this time for the Cardinals who have basically put up the best numbers. So starting with the year 2000. And if you don't mind... Shopta, um, I'm springing this on you now, but I'm going to sort of quiz you. I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, I'm, I'm going to quiz you with some of these. But I, I, I apologize for putting you on the spot, but I must tell you, a lot of these answers are going to be kind of easy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of them might surprise you, but most will be kind of easy. So, Daniel, since this streak began in 2000, who do you think has the most played appearances for the Cardinals? Yadier Molina. That is correct. Yadier Molina was 7,789. Albert Pujols second was 7,433. Who do you think has the most hits? Albert Pujols. Pujols is correct. 2,073. Second is Yadi. um, Again, heading into tonight with 1,996. Who has the most doubles? I'm going to say Pujols on that one, too. You are three for three, also Pujols. And again, uh, you're probably noticing a trend. Yachty is second with 380. Uh, Matt Carpenter get in that mix somewhere. That was uh, He was close, but he, he I, I only have the top two recorded here, but okay. I do remember Carpenter being close. Yeah, he started. He, he's got a decade uh, gap to catch up. So that would Yeah, be hard. yeah. I mean, he had that, what did he hit, 55 in 2013. Mm-hmm. So he got off to a hot start. Uh, here's a tougher one, triples. Oh, boy, that is a tough one. Uh, I don't know. Albert Matt, Pujols, just because I have to guess that, that That would have been my guess. It's actually Matt Carpenter with 27, <laughs> which really surprised me. Colton Wong, second with 24 triples. Okay. Um, well, here's some good news. We're moving into some easier ones again. Home runs. Pujols. Yep, 445. Uh, Edmonds is second with 241. Uh, RBIs. Uh, Pujols. Yeah, Pujols, 1,329. Yachty is second with 932. Uh, Mm -hmm. Run scored? Let's say Pujols again. Yeah, Pujols, uh, 1,291. Second is actually Carpenter with 734. Mm. So... uh, I think it's safe to say Albert Pujols was amazing. Um, yeah, I think it kind of counts. Yeah. Uh, here's another tough one, though. Stolen bases. Stolen bases. This is a fun one. Uh, boy, I can't think of anybody. I think you can of a couple of good, but long term. Uh, I don't know. Edgar Renteria with a Yeah, Edgar Renteria oh. with 111 stolen bases. Second is Colton Wong with 88. Yeah, I was going to guess Wong, but I didn't know if he had, you know, had been long enough. Enter is. That's very interesting. Okay, so now we're going to move into batting average, on base, slugging, and OPS. And I capped it at a minimum of, of uh, 1,800 plate appearances. Uh, I just sort of made up that number, but that seemed like a good, uh, Sounds good. You know, good baseline, which came out to about 15 uh, players, if I recall. Um, 
before we get to who's leading, I can tell you that uh, Mike Matheny was last in all in all of them. <laughs> um, uh, well, they were my guess. Yeah, batting average. Pujols. Pujols, uh, three twenty-eight batting average. Matt Holiday and Edgar Renteria tied for second with two ninety at two ninety-three. Wow, uh, that's a gap. Yeah, yeah. On base, Pujols. Yeah, Pujols, uh, four twenty on base percentage. Jim Edmonds second at three ninety-three. Slugging, Pujols. Pujols. Uh, six seventeen. Edmund second at uh five fifty five, and of course OPS um two right. uh, one thousand thirty seven. Edmund second with nine forty seven. Uh, so I think you got all of them, but for the two hard ones, which were triples and stolen bases, which I would not have gotten either. Uh, but we're, we're gonna move on to pitching though, real quick. Okay. Not well, as many. Yeah, yeah, this is like, this one's actually kind of easy too. Uh, who do you think's had the most pitching wins? Since uh, 2000, I would. Uh, I think. I mean, my first guess is Wainwright, but yeah. okay. Oh, well, he he yeah. had some. You know, he had the the two seasons without really pitching that kind of threw me off there. Yeah, so I would have guessed Wainwright too, but I would not have guessed Wainwright by a mile, and it is Wainwright mm. by a mile. He has 167 wins to Chris Carpenter, who's second with 95. Wow. Uh, strikeouts. Wainwright. Wainwright, 1,827. Second place is Chris Carpenter with 1,085. Shutouts. What? Yeah, Wainwright again. It's a tie between Wainwright and Carpenter with 10. Yeah, okay. And Matt Morris is second with seven. Saves. Hmm. Saves. Isringhausen? Isringhausen is correct with 217. Second place is Rosenthal with 121. Okay. And now we're going to move into ERA, FIP, stuff like that. Mm. And I, I put the minimum at 450 innings pitched. And uh, if I recall, uh, there were, again, about similar to hitters, there were about 14 names. And mm. like Mike Matheny was last of all the hitters, Jason Marquis was, was going to be <laughs> bringing up the rear for all these. Uh, but anyway, but hey, you don't, you don't throw that many innings if you're not valuable uh, in some way. So um, ERA. Carpenter. That is correct. Carpenter with a uh, 3.07 ERA. Second is a tie between Wainwright and Lance Lynn at 3.38. Hmm. Uh, FIP. Carpenter. Carpenter, yep, 3.28. Second is Wainwright at 3.40. Uh, and I just thought I'd throw this in, in here, but ERA plus, this should be pretty easy since we already guessed ERA. Uh, Carpenter. Carpenter, 133. Second is Daryl Kyle at 125. Interesting. And last one, um, and this is going to be because eras have sort of shifted since the year 2000, but it's going to be uh, more of a current guy, of course, but uh, strikeout rate. Who has the highest K percentage, do you think? Uh, <laughs> I'll see, Flaherty hadn't pitched enough. No. Um, Lance Lynn? That is a very good guess, but it's actually, and you're going to kick yourself, I bet, Carlos Martinez. Oh, at, uh, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. 23.2%. Lance Lynn's second at 22.3%. Okay. Oh, so I wasn't too far off. There you go. Those are the Cardinals who have, I guess, dominated the stats since uh, the Pirates last finished ahead of them in the standings. I don't know about you, but my life is radically different than it was in 1999. Oh, uh, I was entering my junior year of let's see that would have been october of 99 uh, yeah okay so i was 
just starting my junior year of college. <laughs> December of 99 is when I got married. Okay. Um, so Congratulations I, on that. Yeah, and I had been out of college for, I graduated in 97, so I've been out for a couple of years. So, yeah, it's, so things are slightly different than they were this, back then. This streak predates your entire marital life. Yeah. Pretty yeah. Amazing. All it right. Is. That's what I have. Okay. What do you have for us? Well, I have, you know, we've talked a lot tonight about the Cardinals sitting around the 500 mark that they can't seem to get away from that little bit. Um, So I thought I would look and see how many seasons the Cardinals have finished at exactly 500. Mm. And I know you often, you, you cut yours off at 1901 or whatever. I went all the way back just because it was very easy on the page in baseball reference mm-hmm. to go to the, what the 1882 Brown stockings or whatever right. the case may be um, out of whatever that is, you know, 140 seasons. Would you like to guess how many times the Cardinals have finished mm-hmm. exactly 500? Well, I, I'm not saying it hasn't happened, but I can't remember a time off the top of my head where it's happened in my lifetime. Um, they had some teams in the early nineties, but I feel like they, they would always win like 84, 80, you know, they were slightly better than 500. Uh, we're talking like 140 seasons. I'm going to say, I'm going to say it's really, low. I'm going to say five. Is that really low? Is that a bad guess? That is not a bad guess, but that is a high guess. Really? Okay. The Cardinals have finished at 500 one time. You're kidding their me. entire career. And the reason you don't remember it is because it predates you as okay. well. The 1973 Cardinals finished 81 and 81. Um, that was actually good enough, though, to be second in the old NL East um, behind the Mets, who went on to win the World Series that year, I believe. Um, is and that the they, first year they did uh, divisions? Uh, maybe it is. I said that, but no, no, I think... I think 69 was the first year. Yeah, okay. That, that, that might, yeah, the Mets that won might the first out. year, but yeah, yeah, I think that's it. Anyway, um, and they had to win the last five of the season to reach a, to eat, reach the <laughs> okay. 500 mark, um, which was kind of interesting. They swept uh, – they, they won two against the Cubs and then swept the Phillies, who were worse than they were that year, um, to finish 81 and 81. Now, there were four, five close calls um, – there was, let me, let me see, uh, 1956, they finished 76 and 78, but tied two games. Um, 1965, they finished 80 and 81. They had one tie that year as well, which was actually the very first game of the year. Um, they tied uh, the Cubs in a game at Wrigley Field that I assume uh, got too dark to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, they didn't make that game up somehow along the way. And it wound up as a tie. Um, 1911, they were 75 and 74. Uh, 1925, they were 77 and 76. And then 1975, which happened to be the year I was born, um, they finished 82 and 80, but also with one tie. So I started looking. This is just, this is kind of random. It's time to tie to this. I started looking at this game. I was like, what is going on with this 82 and 80, but still had a tie. It turns out it was a game from August 25th, 1975 against the Astros. 
Cardinals leading two to one in the ninth inning. Uh, runner, a couple runners get on. They bring in uh, Al Herbarski, our good old friend, uh-huh. and um, who gives up a couple of base hits and the Astros tie the game. They go to the tenth inning. Astros take a three to two lead on a sacrifice fly. Um, bottom of that inning, uh, Lou Brock singles ties back to your talks over the last couple of weeks. You get Lou Brock in this, uh, and then uh, stole his 49th base of the year uh, on the first pitch to Bake McBride, which is a really good baseball name. I, I feel love like. that name. Bake love McBride. That name, yeah. uh, McBride doubles, ties it up. Um, they go to the 11th, the 11th inning. Bob Gibson comes in. This is, of course, Bob Gibson's last season. And in fact, he would only appear in two games after this game. Um, comes in, uh, gets the first two guys out, um, then gives up a home run. Cardinals are down by another, by a uh, four to three score. Go to the bottom of the inning. They're down. They get the first, Astros get the first two outs, and the rains come. Rains come so heavily that the game is called, which is kind of crazy when you look at it. The game was called at, uh, well, no, it started raining at 10, 11. So it rained for two hours and 14 minutes and they called the game. And so at the score rules of the time, the score went back to the last completed first inning, which was the three to three game, three, three tie, which means that if you look at Bob Gibson's baseball reference page, you will not find this game because it, he did not actually technically appear in it. So it's a weird game. It's just one of those things that if you go down enough rabbit holes, you find some interesting stuff. That is wild. One thing I will say, I, I feel like there's one season you left out where the Cardinals, and, and first I want to say I'm, I'm happy my, my memory was correct in that they had not finished 500 <laughs> in my lifetime. I thought that was the case, but I wasn't positive. But I will mm-hmm. say there's one season I feel as though you left out where they almost finished 500. Are you talking about 2006? <laughs> I, I am. But yeah. you'll, you'll remember, they didn't actually had played only 161 games that year. So right. it was 80, yes. they finished 83 and 78, which yeah, is a little so bit. I guess five games above 500 is, you can't yeah. quite say almost 500, but yeah. uh, it's closer to 500 than right. most baseball fans would prefer a World Series winner yeah. uh, would finish. Although technically they have, if you're looking at that, they've actually been a little bit closer to 500 since then because the 2017 team, of course, finished 83 and 79. Right. So that one extra, that one extra loss. But those are the two that have been closest in the the span of the current, you know, 2000 plus. And again, I always feel like that 2006 gets unfairly maligned because it pretty much was the 2004, 2005 team that's 100 games just got hurt a lot and, they got everybody healthy and everybody started playing well and and they they lost what like eight in a row there to end the season yeah or almost so well, i mean not to end the season but right they won the last the end, they lost um yeah. they lost a lot now i i think you know yeah i i could not agree more i i hate it when the 2016 gets uh you know i don't know disrespected is the right word but look like <laughs> I don't think it's the Cardinals' fault that every other team in the NL Central was bad. Uh, they they could have won the division if they want if they really wanted to. Uh, and then you know it's not like they snuck in as like a wild card. You know they were at least a division winner, and then they went on to, uh, you know they beat the Potters pretty easily. Uh, played a pretty banged up Mets team, although yeah. you know a lot of teams are banged up at that time of year. Um, and uh, played an amazing series against the Mets, and then you know went on to play. The Tigers, and yeah, the Tigers didn't look great, but 
that happens. That's baseball. And I think it's worth noting that you could possibly make the case that in every series they had the best player and the best pitcher in Chris Carpenter and Albert Pujols. Uh, Obviously, uh, you know, Verlander was a rookie, I believe that year. And, um, well, and the kicker is, I think the biggest thing that that helped the Cardinals that year was that Pedro Martinez was hurt and couldn't pitch for the Mets. Um, because right. that that would have probably, I mean, being that that the season was was so close, I think that might have tipped the scales a little bit there. Because um, it wasn't, I don't think that well, it wasn't classic Pedro, but it was still Pedro Martinez. Yeah, and after two thousand four, I didn't need to see. Pedro again. Yeah. The playoffs. That's, that's, that's absolutely true. Well, sir, thank you very much. This was a lot mm-hmm. of fun. Uh, I, I really appreciated that trip of the week. I had no idea that the Cardinals in all those years mm-hmm. only had one season um, at 500. I'm curious where that ranks. Not that it's an important stat, but I, <laughs> I can't imagine there are many teams who have been around as long as the Cardinals um, to have that few uh, 500 seasons. So, I would not think so. so. Yeah, thank you for bringing that to my attention. Uh, I think this is the end of the show. Uh, Everyone, you can follow Daniel at at C70 on Twitter. Uh, He does uh, several great podcasts, one with Alan Medlock uh, called Meet Me at Mutual, um, and another one with our own Tara Wellman called Gateway to Baseball Heaven. Uh, Are you still writing every day, or you finally Uh, got to stop doing that once baseball Yeah. Unfortunately, I got out of the habit um, once the games actually started. But you know, trying to keep up, <laughs> trying to keep up with all these games would have been a little bit much for an old guy like me. <laughs> well, it, it was certainly appreciated by all of us who do not write to have something to actually read when we weren't watching baseball. So <laughs> thank you for that. And uh, do you have anything else you want to add? Nope, I think we're good. I really appreciate you, you having me in, and I, I'm, a, I'm a poor substitute for Tara, but I'm glad to do it when I can. <laughs> Aren't we all? Um, <laughs> well, thank you very much, everyone. You can, uh, I guess, rate and review the podcast if that's something you want to do. Uh, I never like doing that stuff. But if you want to do it, go for it. We, we would certainly appreciate it. <laughs> um, we will catch you next week. Tara should be back, and we will see you all later. Go Cardinals. <laughs>